Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, a podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. Today's guest is three-time Olympic gold medalist Stephanie Rice. Rice, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm excited. <laughs> so good to catch up. I know. It's so nice to like see you in person. I know. And as just a sports fan, I kind of want to start with understanding what your favorite performance was as an athlete or the one that you're most proud of that people might not know about. Oh, well, I guess it's it's hard because my best performances were the ones that everybody knows about in Beijing. Um, But I would probably say like the life-changing performance was the Olympic trials before Mm. the Beijing. And I wouldn't say it was like my favourite race, but it was kind of that pivotal point where we had like a very – and you'll remember a really unusual prep because um, the world championships were much earlier the year before. So we had this like 12-month, no big competition, huge training block. And I remember thinking – how long until we can race because like I was just getting so over the training and Mm. you know racing is the benchmark of like how the training has been going and so Mm. without that benchmark I kind of went into the Olympic trials like not sure like I knew I was physically in the best state I'd been in and I felt really strong but I had no way as a guide to know like where I really was Mm. on the world scale And so going into day one of the Olympic trials and had the 400 medley and like I just never forget, um, Bolly, my coach, said to me right before the race, like this is like the moment you could get on the Olympic team, like, you know, just do what we've always spoken about, like don't put any targets on your back, like no world records. (laughs) Just just keep it in, Steph, keep it in. (laughs) No world records. Like, first of all, we've had 12 months of prep, but you've never spoken about the world record. I didn't know what the world record was, like Mm. time-wise. And for reference, I think the world record was like 4.31 and my best time was like 4.38. So it was like, what Seven seconds doing <laughs> talking about like this unrealistic thing that's never going to happen? Like, mm. And so it really pissed me off that he'd brought it up five minutes before I'm going into this race. Mm. And then swimming the race, I remember being so confused, like – the crowd was so loud and I couldn't tell if that was because this is an Olympic trials is like my first real Olympic trials Mm. or, you know, was something amazing happening. I was so far in front of the next person that I wasn't sure if I was going really fast or everyone else was going really slow. I remember just like the whole time being in my head, which I think when you ask a lot of athletes, like their best moment is kind of like this autopilot, Mm. like it just kind of flows. Whereas I was like, what the hell is going on? And I remember touching the wall and turning around and seeing the scoreboard like world record. And it was just like my face. (laughs) Oh shit. Like the first thing I said, the camera's like right in my face. And everybody texts me after that being like, can't believe you swore on TV. How embarrassing. I know. And, um, and then I like ran over to Bolly, my coach, like so excited. Like I just had never imagined ever breaking a world record. Like mm. I think every athlete, especially swimmers think about being an Olympian and like going to the Olympics, 
But I just had never considered that. And so, like, I ran over to Bali and I was like, oh, my God, this is the best moment ever. Mm. And he was like, I told you not to break the world record. Like, he was, like, not sharing at all in my excitement. <laughs> it was so annoyed at Yeah, you. he was, like, a bit annoyed. Like, <laughs> what the hell? This was not what we discussed. And, you know, the next race I had, I broke the other world record. And it wasn't really until that meet finished that I realised, like, where he was going with the fact that now I'm preparing for, like, like my first Olympics mm. um, with this unnecessary expectation and now I've got this media expectation and public expectation. It was just, you know, when you go into your first Olympics, I guess you want to try and take as much pressure off and I mm. added so much more on. In saying that, I think, you know, that was a really life-changing moment, that first race. And without that confidence that I had of being a world record holder, I don't know if I would have gone into the Olympics like with – that empowerment to do mm. as well as I did. So I, I think it was a good thing, mm. but um, I think my coach would say otherwise. <laughs> that wasn't <laughs> But I'm like, I don't care. It yeah. worked out in the end. Exactly. <laughs> and I think for anyone listening, I think it's really important to put in perspective that achievement because it, it what you did in Beijing, it was just remarkable. Um, three Olympic gold medals at any Olympics is crazy and so few athletes have done that. Mm. And then not only that, but you were able to do two individual gold medals yeah. and world records. Yeah. All, all of them, right? All of yeah. them world record, yeah. yeah. Like that is just – I don't know if it really hit me until London four years later, mm. like what kind of an achievement it was, but literally – even though, like, so on the outside, what other people saw and what I see now, like, it was a perfect meet if mm. you – no one ever has one. But, like, in terms of the results, it was perfect. Yes. In terms of what happened behind the scenes, it was always so far from perfect, which mm. I know you relate to completely. But I was just so fortunate and grateful that it lined up, mm. you know, that everything – came together on the day because you have no control uh, how you're going to feel on the day, how much sleep you got the night before, how much pressure. Like there's just so many things that can go wrong and mm. I think they are also outside your control. So I was just – I'm just really appreciative that it, it did come together and having races where it doesn't come together, mm. you kind of can't help but think like – what if this or what if that happened? And and I'm just glad in terms of Beijing, I don't look back and have those those feelings. Totally. And that, that helps my transition as well. So fast forward four years to, to London. It was the shittest race <laughs> of my life. <laughs> yeah, look, it was, you know, it was a different experience for you. Different. But how did you go from, you know, having – on the surface, everybody looking in saying that was the best ever, you know, a great performance to, you know, as you said, probably not your most ideal performance. How do you reconcile that in your brain? Yeah, that was really hard and took me, uh, like, I would say at least like three or four years to start reconciling. Um, and I would say it's because the the pathway leading into London was just so traumatic mm. um and I think and 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 you know this from the position that you're in too like what goes on in the training pool day to day to day like no one really cares about nope. they only care about like the result that you get at the every end. four years of course <laughs> so it's like four years of nothing and then a week of like oh my god we've never seen this person like how great we love her um and I also didn't want to like be vocalizing to the public or the media, or whoever, like 
all the crap that I was dealing with on a day-to-day basis and Mm. how bad things were because you don't want your competitors to know that, oh, like she's had a really awful preparation. So, you know, I've got the upper hand. So I'm trying to like keep the fact that like I had torn the tendon in my shoulder and like I was swimming 30 kilometres a week instead of 60 kilometres a week and some days I couldn't even get in the pool. Mm. Like, And then, you know, two weeks before London, I had this like huge bout of food poisonings and, you know, that takes your body just so long to recover from. So a perfect preparation. It was like literally (laughs) like – and it was – basically from when I tore the tendon in my shoulder in December to like get through to the Olympic trials and like make the team and then get to London. Like that was, you know, like a seven month block. Mm. And um, I could like, my shoulder just got worse and worse and worse and worse the further we got through. And I think because when something goes wrong, you try to like balance it out elsewhere by having like, oh, I didn't get as much swimming in, so I'll do extra running or cycling or something. And so then my knees would get sore, my mm. body would get sore, my immune system started breaking down. So yeah, swimmers I, were not made for land. <laughs> not like at all. <laughs> and so I was just like, honestly, by the time I got to London, I was just like so ready for the meet to be over. Like mm. I was just like, I don't actually think I could hold on to this anymore. And it almost became in my head this cycle of like what what next mm. will go wrong and when things did go wrong like when I then got food poisoning Mm. or whatever I was like of course I almost started expecting it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah I was like and and the the more that happened the less reactionary I got to it because you just can't also react emotionally to all those things going wrong so yeah like in London I actually kind of can look back now and say I performed like way better than I deserved to Mm. off the workload that was done um, so to have come like sixth and fourth in the world is mm. still awesome off what I had as a prep. But the hardest part to reconcile in my mind is that like I knew I was capable of so much better. And that's so hard because you're in your head. And even one of the coaches, uh, the coach of the girl in America that won the 400 medley that year, he even came over to my coach and said, like, you had the better athlete. I just had the better prep. Mm. And I'm like, so hard for other people to also know that yeah. you were better. <laughs> but, like, you can't – you don't have, like, the shiny medal and trophy to show people that yeah. you could do it. And I think in my head, you know, a lot of people and, and myself as well have always admired athletes that can back up, like, year after year after year after sure. year and perform at a really, really high level. Like, Serena Williams, I'm just like, you're amazing. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted – to be one of those athletes and so right. I don't feel now that even though I know I'm capable of it I, I, I really wasn't yeah. and that's like pretty annoying um so yeah it was quite hard to reconcile especially because I had feelings that London would be my last one yes and you, you know I don't think anybody regardless of being an athlete you just don't want your last performance to be like not your best one the shitty one (laughs) yeah and because it's kind of also in in like the unforgiving world of sport the one that people remember Remember you for yeah so um I was I was like no this can't be it but at the same time in my head like I just don't think I could go another four so how did you come to the decision of retirement like how did you recognize that it that you were done with the pool that you wanted to move on with your life I think the actual process was probably 18 months, but um, as I said, leading into London, I like 98% thought 
that would be my last like race because I also was really, really clear that I didn't want to finish on a non-Olympic year, which then meant it was a four-year journey. Yeah. Because I knew if I just did, say, two more years and finished at a Commonwealth Games, I'd get to that point and be like, oh, just do two more. Well, it's just two more years. Only two more. (laughs) And then that could like go on and on forever. So um, I, I... had to then have the surgery on my shoulder right after the Olympics. So that was a six month uh, rehab in itself. And, um, you know, similar to you, like I was so busy for the Mm. first like six months after the Olympics with press and sponsorship and all of this stuff and like putting on kilograms of weight. And then because <laughs> that takes time oh, and energy. so annoying. And also because like I was immobile from the surgery of course, and all yeah. of this stuff. So um, I, I felt like I kind of had like eight months of just not really thinking about it because I couldn't really do anything anyway. Mm. And then I really started to consider like, okay, am I fully over it? I, I really didn't want to make an emotional decision. So yeah. I wanted to make sure I got to a point where I was comfortable emotionally, like balanced, and then decide, do I want to keep going once I'd weighed all the pros and cons? And, um, and I think it was about a year later that I decided Mm. that would be it. And then I announced that like publicly quite soon after. Because obviously once you announce a retirement, which you know, like you're pulling yourself off the drug testing protocol and all this other stuff, which then if you want to go back is like another 18 months to like reestablish. So I knew it it wasn't just – I couldn't have this like, oh – I'm done. And then a month later be like, oh, actually, actually. <laughs> I was like 10 months. So <laughs> you've done well to like make a not emotional decision. <laughs> well, it, no, it, it took me about a year. Mm. And, um, and once I had decided, I would then say it took me another year after that to actually be okay with the decision. Mm. Cause I then had times of like, I just felt really lost mm. and like no purpose, no direction. And, you know, coming from, a regimen that is so structured, you know, exactly like I could tell you three years from today, this will be my life. And this is what it looks like every day. And I'm oh, sorry, June, July, I'll be on a training camp. Like you just know what it looks like. And I had no idea what even tomorrow looked like mm. now. So I think the lack of direction made me gravitate back to something that I know. Mm. And then I thought, well, I'll just go back to what I know and I can do it well. And I don't know if I can do anything else well. So, you know, maybe I'll go back. And then I would literally go swim by myself for like a day and be like, ah, yeah, so actually not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is why I wanted to retire. So this was the reason I decided (laughs) to stop. Yeah. uh, So it did take me a really, really long time. What did you, like you touched on, you know, being in that routine, being in that structure, it's hard to come out of that. Was that the biggest challenge for you or was there something else that you found difficult to kind of overcome during that transition? Um, that was a, a part of it, but I think it kind of came back to an overarching feeling of being lost. Yeah. So being lost emotionally being lost in terms of like what's my purpose or what's my next thing Mm. what does my day look like and once I had gone through sort of like a year and a half of not swimming and making that decision I was like actually had all this energy and drive and passion back but I didn't know how to execute it and where to channel channel. Yeah. yeah so I was like oh okay um and I I just remember thinking like all the time, if I knew what I wanted to do and 
you know, when you've been a top athlete, you know that you have to be passionate about mm. it. Like, what do you – like, I say to kids, um, like, you have to love what you do in order to be really great at it. I'm sure you say the same thing to your kids. And, 100%. Yeah. Swimming was my first love. Yeah. So if you don't have that, you're not really going to push through the hard times. Mm. So I knew already I had to do something that I was going to be passionate about to do well at it. And once I had that, I knew I had all the tools and framework that we'd learned from being in this high-performance environment that mm. I would succeed. Mm. But I was like – but I don't know what to do. <laughs> but where am I going? Well, yeah. <laughs> and I kept comparing everything to swimming or to being, you know, a gold medalist. And it just, I, I set an unrealistic benchmark to try mm. and achieve. And um, I was trying to mimic, you know, swimming into this next thing. And I would say that took me I don't even think I'm there. Yeah. Like to be really, to be really honest, <laughs> I I actually don't think I'll ever be there anymore, and I'm mm. kind of like okay with that. Uh, but it for sure, like that feeling of being direct, directionless and like lost, really pushed me into the world of personal development mm. and what now I think kind of comes back to uh, mental health as mm. like the bigger banner. Um, attending seminars, doing online courses, whatever it was that were tools to learn to help navigate this um, where am I, what am I doing Mm. kind of thing really I think helped me find more purpose and more clarity. And, yeah, I love, I love, 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 love that space. Yeah. It's really interesting when you were talking about, you know, you've you've come from being the best in the world at something Mm. and then anything from there is fail. <laughs> it's just downhill. Like yeah. it's just I always talk about like I was the best in the world at the age of 23 and then yeah. moving into the real world you you're just a shit kicker. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're like not an expert. Person. You're not um the best at what you do anymore and that I, I, I don't know about you but for me I had, you know, on some level you have an ego because yeah, you course. think you can be the best in the world and then how do you translate that attitude and perspective in a non-damaging way to your mental health. Mm. And it, it looks like you've gone into that sort of personal development space yeah. to try and channel that energy in a more positive way. I also don't think you can just turn off being a high performer. Mm. Like I I think a lot of people say like, oh, you must be really talented. And I think talent like gets you in the door. But mm. then all the foundational skills you learn around like work ethic and consistency and how to push yourself to that limit to be a gold medalist. Mm. You don't just like one day be like, okay, cool. So like... I'm here. I'll just close that <laughs> off and be okay with being like yeah. what I would say in inverted commas, like normal, mm. because that's just fundamentally like not who I am. Mm. Like even when I play games, like board games, I'm like pissed if I don't win. Yeah, a lot of my friends get annoyed. And it's really <laughs> hard to like. It, it's so annoying because in my head I'm like, Steph, it's a board game. And this is meant to be fun. Yeah, like normal it, people think this no is no big deal if you didn't win. <laughs> but in, I like cannot help the emotional reaction yeah. I have when I don't win, and I don't think that's ever going to go. Mm. So um, I feel like doing personal development has made me feel like at least I am the winner of my own pathway, mm. not necessarily in a. Um, external validation sense but Mm. yeah I kind of feel like okay now I know how to navigate and channel the things that really um, work for me in a new new way how do you navigate because I know that for um, a long while you're working on the Stephanie Rice Swim Academy over in India Mm -hmm. I mean so many people have been punished 
by COVID, right? Like in so many ways, yeah. it's, it's been horrific across the world. We're really lucky in Australia. Yeah. But I mean, that sort of disappointment and frustration would arise uh, in so many different ways. Like how do you use what you've learnt from your swimming time to then move into this, you know, business space that mm. you've obviously been incredibly passionate about and worked really hard on? Yeah, that was really frustrating mm. um, because I think it literally was launching and then COVID. yeah, and and you know, like swimming, people don't really care or hear the behind the scenes, no. so they just think like, oh, I saw that you're doing an academy and like how great, and then I'm like, oh yeah, it's like that got cancelled, um, like, cool. <laughs> but I'm like, that was two and a half years mm. like behind the scenes to prep and put all this work in, and I guess from a business sense, like you don't get paid until you mm. get a deal done. So I was doing two years of work for free mm. because it was all towards this, you know, common goal. And then obviously COVID hit and everything just got shut down, mm. which I think in that situation, like I could, I, I could rationalize in my head why they'd made the decision. So I wasn't so. It's like, not personal. Yeah. It yeah. was more like a frustration to the situation versus like, they didn't want to do it or, yeah. or whatever. They don't like personal it attack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I get it, but it was so hard. Cause I think too, you know, that was the vehicle I had like personally thought was my next 10 year like, yes. project. So mm. this was going to be like my purpose when people say, I found my purpose again. Literally the, the situation has always been like, Oh, you don't swim anymore. Oh, what do you do now? And I'm like, I don't know how to answer that. Yeah. Like, or I think people think like, I don't want to say like, oh, like I still do like some media. It just sounds sound so like wishy washy. And it's such a wanker. Like, I know. It's so easy to be like, I'm, I'm a swimmer. Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. And people are like, oh, what's your business? And I'm like, myself. <laughs> I'm my own business. Yeah. And I do some media and like also I do some social posts. I'm people a brand ambassador. Like, oh, okay. So you take photos? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Okay. There's so much more in this, but people don't understand any yeah. of that world. So I think to then, like I was using like, oh, I have a swimming academy in India. We work with the Indian government. It was like legitimizing what I knew I was capable of and people mm. were perceiving that in the way that I wanted it to be perceived like oh that's amazing like mm. how great what what a commitment and then when it got shut down I was like oh great and I still see myself using it often mm. like to revalidate you know my worth in some other way like I was doing this mm. and now I'm not so I'm still searching for the next thing I, I and I reckon that's one of the things that I struggled with the most is not having a label for yeah. what I do now yeah and I, st- I like still can't answer that question. how do you define yourself yeah because you know? I you don't want to be Stephanie Rice the swimmer for the rest of your life because yeah yes well it's not me anymore it's not yes, you anymore exactly yeah. it's like that was a huge part of who you were mm. and it allowed it was a vehicle to allow you to achieve these incredible things but mm-hmm. then how did like I don't want to be Libby Trick at the swimmer for the rest of my life, mm. which is why I started a podcast. <laughs> I'm a podcaster I, now. I'm actually a podcast. Yeah, yeah I'm a podcast. <laughs> I know, and it's so it's so ridiculous that you look for that. And I think you know, coming back to I guess that transition and finding personal development, and always comparing it to swimming. What I have realized is that there will never just be one thing that Mm. I do because I actually like having the diversity and the opportunity to kind of create things in different spaces. Mm. So I don't ever think that I'll be Stephanie Rice, the 
blah. Mm. It will be like, oh, I do this and this and this and this. Um, and I think it's hard to do that in a space where people are so also used to. Mm. You're a lawyer or you're a doctor or you're, uh, you know. You, you are something. One particular thing. Mm. Um, so when I start saying, I do this and this and this, people think, so you basically do nothing? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Sure, Steph. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's great. Cute. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when people put in the Instagram bio, like, chef, housewife, writer, blogger. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so just because you wrote an Instagram article doesn't make you yes. a writer. <laughs> <laughs> so true. It's so true. How do you come up with the different ideas that you work with? And, you know, I don't want this to sound like, being a dick, but you've dabbled in a lot of businesses. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't, because I, I, I totally respect what you've yeah. been able to do. Because it's amazing. You've come up with a lot of different ideas, and you're. And I, what I can see is that you're trying different yeah. things. Because that's what I felt like the last eight years. It's just, you know, I've worked in marketing, and I've worked in a technology company, and I've been yeah. in sales, and yeah. I've been in radio, <laughs> and I'm still a bit chicken. Yeah. And I'm still a bit chicken. <laughs> like you, you feel like you're just dabbling. Like how do you? work out what the next step is for you? Um, I try to take it – I try not to think too far ahead as to, like, what that looks like and how Mm. that's going to lead to this opportunity and that opportunity because I think – I'm sure it was similar to you, but, you know, you learn as an athlete around goal setting to find, like, the end goal and then, like, work back Mm. all the stepping stones towards it. So even as a 15-year-old, you're like – in seven years when the Olympic comes round, like I need to be at this this level so that I can get to that big goal. Mm. And then you start working out like, well, next year I need to hit this to get to that, to get to this. Whereas I've almost just had to reverse engineer how that works because for so long, like easily five years, I kept trying to think – what's the big thing you want to do? And then you can reverse engineer how to get there because you know how to do do that process. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so like literally like a year after swimming, I was like, I'm going to be a pro tennis player. No <laughs> shit. <laughs> yes. Legitimate. So I called out Pat Cash and I was like, so here I am and I am going to be a pro tennis player. I so love that. give me the lessons. Like I'm ready. I did a week I'm with, ready. I did a week with Pat Cash and I realized like very quickly, like, yeah, so that's like totally not. Oh, so happen. they're really good at what they do. They've yeah, spent so their entire I, this lives. This whole dual athlete thing is just not going to happen. Um, the same. I'm like, maybe I can take up rowing. No, <laughs> maybe totally. I was like absolutely certain that that was my next thing when AFLW came out. I was like, maybe I could do <laughs> AFLW. Like, I mean, Wait, my I can do it. <laughs> my yeah. height's an issue, but I can do it. I'm I've scrappy. Got, yeah, I've got the other skills. It's fine. And I think that's the thing is you try and look for ways that your skills will naturally transfer. Mm into a new area um and so even though it's like so stupid but like tennis I was like I know how to do the training I know how to push myself I know how to build technique very quickly and refine like I know all this so great body awareness I can do this yeah no problem and legitimately I was like I could do this but I just realized really quickly like I'm starting from ground zero and by the time I actually get to where I the excitement of where I want to go is going to be 10 years yes. and I'm not ready for that. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not going to be 35, like <laughs> just making the pro circuit. So no. Um, and so I don't know what the original question was, but goal setting. Yes. Um, I think I realized. How do you make, how do you, what do you do? How do make, you find? Yes, yeah. I think step. I realized like after that, that I was probably never going to be capable of finding the big end goal. And so rather focus on like, what are you passionate about now? Mm. What's important to 
you now and then that will lead to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And so I, you know, was attending like Tony Robbins conferences and doing all this, you know, seminars online and I wanted to package up the tools that I had learnt into like a mental training program. And so I wrote my first ebook mm. like about that. And I would never say I'm like a expert in the space or I'm like a writer or anything. It was just more like this is important to me now and mm. this is like what I feel called to do and yeah. like keep learning about and writing and sharing. And and once I have that energy, I can bang out projects mm. like so rapidly. Like I can work intensely very quickly and get things done. But then I have like a year of like searching again yeah. for the next thing. Um, and so that's, that's always been the way I try and approach things now mm. is like, okay, what kind of opportunities, you know, am I interested in? Would I want to do this like a longer term thing mm. and then um, go from there? Is there anything that you think would have been something that might have helped you in that transition? Like, because, you know, I think about other athletes and, you know, I see athletes who study while they're competing and I feel like the majority of them make an easier transition into the real world. Yeah. Um, Is there something for you that you wish you would have done while you were competing? No. Um... I, I because I mean I've never really believed in having regrets because mm. I just don't think they serve you in any way. Like I have choices that I would look back and potentially alter or change, of course, like with hindsight. But you know, the hindsight helps you like lever into the next thing. So what um, makes you who you are now. Yeah, yeah. I'm passionate about like we're both obviously passionate about this athlete transition mm. and mental health because maybe our transition was really rough. Yeah. So I kind of like looking at things in that in, through that lens lens point. So um, I would never have studied mm. during my career um, because you know I think when you talk to the the pinnacle of anything, um, you know we were obviously training like seven hours a day just in general. So mm. this is now a one a full time job, mm. and then when you do have any potential time off that it was instantly filled with media commitments, sponsorship commitments and um, resting. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, they were vital as well. Like, and we're in the same boat, like those sponsorships actually were our like financial wellbeing. So Mm. swimmers aren't, you know, the most lucrative of athletes. They're more than others. So it's not like you would ever, you know, be just ungrateful, but you needed that additional work. So I already felt like I was like struggling to juggle my time. There was Mm. never enough time. I always felt I was disappointing somebody, whether it was a sponsor or my coach or family or friends. So to have then added study into like, it just was not possible Mm. whatsoever. And I also think it would have come at the detriment to something because it had to. So you can't just add stuff in without like taking something away. Mm. And so I didn't want to risk what I already knew was a small window for being a a top athlete. You know, it's like five or six years maybe that you can like really be at your peak. So I didn't want to, I was like, you know what? I can study after if I need to, I've got time. Yeah. Um, But then I probably finished and had nothing Mm. like at all. And not that I ever expected there to be this, you know, uh, support, probably the best word for me. But I just realized like really quickly, like, whoa, once you're out, you're really out. <laughs> you're really out. And wow, people really actually don't care that much, <laughs> yeah. huh? Like unless you're providing value to them, they're not mm. really 
invested in your well-being and I can understand it from the other perspective as well. So so it's not like there's a animosity or whatever, but um, if I don't think I would have changed anything just because I think the hardship I went through, even though I never would want other people to go through it, mm. helped me to learn all this stuff about myself and has helped to create the opportunities and speak to the things that I now think are really important. Mm. Would you have changed anything? No, I I agree. I think, um, like, from my perspective, uh, like, I tried to study while Mm. I was swimming. I always really prided myself on the fact that I wasn't just Libby Trickett, the swimmer. Yeah. Um, But I very quickly quit subjects, cancelled, deferred. Yeah. Because my priority was always my swimming. Mm. And also with that that high-performance attitude – if I didn't think I was going to get a high distinction, I would withdraw. Right. Sorry. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, it's been a really big thing for me to change that perspective because you realise that passes actually get degrees rather than, <laughs> rather than high well, distinctions. Yeah. You know, you can turn yourself away from doing things because if you don't think you're going to succeed, you're not Correct. going to even try. Correct. Yeah. So what would your, like, what would your advice be for people who are making big transitions in their lives? Oh, well, it's really hard because I feel like everybody's transition is different and has different um, uh, different facets that make it harder or easier. Like I think the th- if I was to speak directly to athletes, a lot of the skills you learn, like the fundamental skills as an athlete don't transfer whatsoever. Mm. My technique in freestyle means nothing in the <laughs> <What>? business world. <laughs> It's all the mental strength skills that you learn that get you to the top that can be transferred. And I think that's why, you know, athletes get speaking gigs at corporate Mm. events because they're like, you have a black and white result and, you know, there's this obvious thing that you've had to do Mm. to get there. And they like that. And I like that too. But, you know, like writing a bloody resume, being like, oh, so yeah, like won some gold medals in swimming and that's Mm. it. I was really good at swimming once. Yeah. Can you give me a job? Yeah, like I'm, I'll be good at marketing. What the hell? No. Like how – do you know anything about marketing? No, no. But like no. trust me, I'll learn it. I will and, learn. And I will pick it up really quickly. We're coachable. <clears throat> Steph, Very we coachable. coachable. <laughs> Sometimes I think our coaches would very much disagree. <laughs> yes, but that's <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> Only towards the end of our careers. At the um, start, yeah, we're probably I'm pretty like, coachable. Being stubborn is really helpful sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think too – so I think like that's hard. Whereas if you're like a, a, a marketing expert going into a different job as another marketing expert or sort of going sideways in that career a little bit, it's like you still have all these skills that are like very transferable. Mm. Um, as an athlete, it's I think really challenging to um, transition to a completely new domain with no skill set that's there. You're like basically starting again, but then you have this ability to fast track it with the skills you have mentally and emotionally. Um, I think for me personally, what amplified or heightened that transitional uh, tough time was I had a like, and you would have been the same. I had a lot of people around me that had to be around me for the success and the um, the structure that I needed as an athlete. So whether they were coaches or advisors or managers mm. or accountants or lawyers, because you know there was a lot going on and I needed a lot of help. And now I'm like, so I don't do anything with my day. I can probably actually do a lot of this myself. Mm. And then you're not making as much money and you're not as famous. So like a lot of the things just quickly and rapidly like fall off. Mm. And I remember my agent at the time just 
probably heightened my anxiety mm. or like lack of self-worth because they were the person that I looked to to help with this transition. They know the space better than anybody. And they just kept reaffirming to me, like, if you're not doing anything and you aren't current, you're not going to get work. And I was always like, well, I need to be doing something yeah. to be current. And so I was always looking for that thing to be doing to be current. And I could never find it. Mm. But thankfully, I still had work. It just was at a much lower scale than it was before. And I had a lot of free time. Mm. And I was like, what am I doing with my free time? And I'm not really, like, interested in hobbies or You don't want to crochet? No. (laughs) And, like, I'm just, like, not actually a hobby person. Mm. Because if I like something, I'll do it as a business. Mm. Um, And uh, and I think then being single and being a female just amplified. Because I didn't really have anybody that I could – like progress other areas of my life. Like I think if I was in a relationship, it would have, I could have easily brushed off a lot of that stuff because I could infuse that into building my relationship or Mm. looking to have a family. And I just didn't feel like I had anybody, A, that was like for me personally. And then B, I didn't feel like anybody understood what I was going through because so many people would just say like, oh, why don't you just like get a job? Mm. Or, and I'm like, you don't understand yeah. like the height of what we have gone through and therefore like how big this is. Do you find people have an expectation of you because you're Stephanie Rice, the gold medalist? Oh, it's de- like, it's why I moved overseas. Yeah. Um, and not because people expect you to do something amazing Mm. it was I think just more curiosity like first of all people still say to me now like oh my god like when's your next competition (laughs) and then it's they are really embarrassed when I'm like I retired 10 years ago like, ah. I haven't – like, literally 10 years ago. And they're like, oh, my God, really? Um, and so then the next question is, so what do you do now? And I'm like, um, as we spoke about before, it's just like a whole bunch of nothing. Mm. And so maybe two years after I had, uh, like, finished swimming, I just announced my retirement and I was, like, dabbling in a whole lot of nothing mm. – um, I just not actually, a whole lot of nothing, a whole lot of experiences a whole lot of that get us closer to where we want to go. Sure, exactly. <laughs> um, and I was just like, you know what? I need to get out of Australia because mm. everywhere I went in Australia, I was, you know, somewhat recognised, and it was just more the fact that I didn't feel like I could switch off. Mm. I always felt like I had to be prepared and ready for the questions, like, mm. of what do you do now? And I don't have something, and so I was like, I just want to go somewhere where no one will ask me that question. So I moved overseas for 18 months and it was great. I got to be whoever I wanted to be. I made up stories about myself and never forget I was in a bar in LA and it was so funny. (laughs) Um, And, you know, there's all these gorgeous, like, you know, women there that are obviously very focused on external beauty. (laughs) It's the vibe. Yeah, it's the vibe. And there were like, there was this guy sitting there and he was sort of like, oh, I guess there's like nothing better in the bar at the moment. I'll talk to you. And he was talking to me. <laughs> You'll do. <laughs> yeah, basically that's how I felt. And he was asking me questions like, oh, like, so what do you do? And I was like, oh, <laughs> I used to swim. And he's like, oh, cool. Like what? Like for a, like a hobby. And I'm like, oh, no, like, no, like I like swam like more competitively. <laughs> and then they're like. Oh, like college. I was like, oh, like Olympics. And 
it was like the whole conversation he had been like looking past my shoulder, observing like what else had been coming in the door. Mm. Like, I don't really care about you whatsoever. And as soon as I said Olympics, it was like, oh my God, like, oh, like, wow. So and like, how did, did you, you win? Yeah. <laughs> did you win? I'm like, yeah, I did. Like I got three gold medals all of a sudden now. Like he was like, we should catch up. And I'm like, I think not. Because yeah. you just, you're totally disinterested in me until you knew, I guess, you didn't care about who I was. You just cared about what you could maybe gain out of being mm. in this environment. And I felt in Australia, I never could tell because everybody already knew me. Mm. So you could never gauge a genuine friendship or relationship or partner because everybody already knew. So it was really eye-opening to be somewhere where no one knew and then kind of get a read in real time. Mm. And that that really changed my perspective a lot. And it was really good to have that time away. Mm. I've loved our conversation. Thank, <laughs> thank you so much for like, you know, sharing and because I've had so many like, aha, <laughs> like, yeah, that's totally true, especially about the goal setting, like oh, reverse engineering. Yeah, because I, it's exactly how I, you've articulated it so well because I just, that's exactly the process that I've gone through over yeah. the last few years as well. Oh, I wanted to ask a, Ooh, yes. you a question. Oh, yes, please. Um, what have you found your transition to be like? I mean, I've obviously spoken a lot about mine, but. Mm you are super passionate about mental health mm. and you're a huge advocate for it. You're so busy, like being a wife and being a mom. And like, I admire the fact that you still focus on your career as well. So, and it's been a long time to get to this point, like right here, right now, mm. are there things that you have learned through that process that you would change or totally share? Yes. So I, I really particularly to athletes, I advocate for doing something. Mm -hmm. I, and I know, like, I totally understand where you were coming from because I felt the same. Like, I felt like I couldn't do anything else because yeah. it was so – we're so laser-focused while we are competing because yeah. we have a goal. We have a very clear goal that we're working towards and everything, every ounce of energy that we have is going towards that goal. Yeah. But if, you know, for athletes, I, I you know, if you can dabble in study, if you can just start to work out – this area that you want to go into, mm -hmm. whether it's by doing an internship or, right. you know, part-time work, if you have that amount of time, just try things, volunteering, yeah. anything that can sort of, because you work out what you don't want to do and that's just as important as working out what you do want to do. And I think that we have a mutual um, strategy towards like I was really open to try anything. I had to. Yeah. And I, I think that's to. a really good place to get to. You sort of start not focusing on the expectation or the outcome, but more like, I'll give this a go. I'll give it a try. And I'll know as soon as I try it, if this is something that I want to try and explore further or yeah. like, do you know what? Like, that's not for me. Well, I remember one of my things that I dabbled in uh, was a marketing role in a technology. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was tennis. That was such a good idea. <laughs> Why didn't I think you know of that? What? I was like, it's a great idea. They make more money. Yeah. I'm going to be set for life. You'll be I'll, traveling around the world. Oh my God, travel. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm going to probably have a famous boyfriend. That'd be amazing. Yeah. I'm You'll just, have your I'm little set. box. Literally, I was like, I can see the pathway. It's <laughs> yes, fantastic. So good. I wish I'd thought of that. Um, no, I went into marketing in a technology company and I cried every day that I went into the office for three months and I kind of worked out pretty quickly that that wasn't for me. Then I went into radio and that was great, really enjoyed it, but also worked out that that wasn't for me after almost two years. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think through the experiences of depression and postnatal depression, I have, and being able to 
have the opportunity to talk about my experiences, that's really cemented for me what I'm passionate about, mm. which is mental health. Yeah. And so from that, I've decided to study and do all those sorts of things of because I want to be not just Libby Trickett, the swimmer who yeah. and <laughs> had postnatal depression. I want to have a degree and knowledge and, you know, in some way respect. A, I think you get to a point too where you're like, I have the experience, but I want to actually be able to add value to yes, help you through it. It's totally. not just like, oh, I had that too. And like, let's have a chat about the experience. You're Which is like, one thing that can make people feel good. Of course. Like but you already life. have that. Yeah. So you're like, how can I kind of get further beyond there and really serve people and help people mm. with skills and fundamentals? Totally. And, and of course, be credible yeah. in the space. Yeah. You don't want to just be like, hey, I swam good. Listen yeah, to me. Yeah. So like, <laughs> let me give you all these points. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but just to finish up our conversation, how do you want people – what do you want people to know about you now? You know, if I was – like I have been really thinking a lot this this year in particular, like what do the next 10 years look like? Because mm. I think – since I finished swimming almost 10 years ago, it has always been like this year or next year. Like mm. I haven't really thought of like the next decade. Yes. And for me, that's very much around being a mom and being a wife and really having a great family home. Like mm. I want to invest a lot of time in that. Um, but I have always wanted to be recognized as a businesswoman or an entrepreneur. And I think I've always looked for the vehicle that would get me that accolade or respect um, because I know I can do it. Mm. Um, and I have, I've had a business idea for kids swimwear for so long and I know it will be everybody that has seen it and heard about it. And I've presented it to has been like, this is freaking huge and crazy and amazing. And I'm like, I know, <laughs> um, but I have always then, known it's the right time to launch and get into it is when I have a kid mm. so I'm kind of like cool that idea is on pause for inevitably I don't know how long mm. um and so when you know I guess if I was to fast forward like five or ten years and people go like I would have always wanted my swimming to be a secondary mm. thing so like an ideal situation is people saying like recognizing me for this huge business that I have launched. And then they realize later, like, oh my God, I didn't realize she like won three gold medals for the mm. Olympics. That's like my ideal situation yeah. um, versus like, oh, she was this swimmer that leveraged that career into having this Something sort else. of little business. Yeah. <laughs> this kind of that little kind average of does. business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But really she was the three-time Olympic. Yeah, that's all she's ever done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that, that is my absolute ideal like scenario. Um, but I think to – I just want to, and I know you're going to round up, but I think coming back to what you were talking about with your transition and, and trying things, I very much did all of that too, but I mm. also did it in the mental health space. Mm. So um, I was open to trying anything and everything that would help me gain more clarity. And so whether it was like Reiki, psychic reading, spirituality, yep. courses, um, counseling, and even through that process of like learning to discover more about myself, because mm. I obviously tried this in a work sense too, where you tried like radio. I tried, you know, also being like the interviewer. And I was like, so I don't like that. Yeah, I like being like, an interviewee. Okay, that's for me. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I tried keynote speaking and I'm like, I hate keynote, but I love panels or mm. discussions. So I think I've just tried a lot of things and you refine it. But I did that also just from a personal development perspective. And that really helped me because like I wasn't so into professional counseling, which I had never been through a my athletic career mm. either. But like I learned like that has a value in a certain thing. But I really, really liked this like 
you know, energy healing or kinesiology or whatever it was. And I just think having an open mind through transition is really helpful. Trying anything that will potentially get you to discover just like the next step. Yeah. Sometimes the next step, like a, a no is just as good as Absolutely. a yes. And I think that's a really good mindset to have to just help yeah, pave the pathway. And I would also say the only thing that I would have liked to have changed um, through that transition was I ideally would love to have a group of people that mm. were there to help you through. And that's not something that, you know, is my call to do, but mm. I would have loved if um, there were a group of people specifically in my sport as mm. well, our sport that, you know, you could just tap into and ask questions or have yeah. as like just, you know, to be able to like call up Susie or yourself mm. or, and just say like, hey, like I'm really struggling with this. Like mm. did you ever go through that? Did you experience that? Because I think just not feeling alone in the journey would have made me – it would have helped a lot, but I didn't know that until much later when everybody started talking about it. Yes. But it's like we had already all gone through it. Yeah, uh, and that's something that I've found really interesting actually just in the last few years I've felt more connected to Definitely. athletes that have been through it. And I don't know whether it's, you know, you kind of – a lot of the people that I never competed against you, you were far, too, you swam way too far for me. <laughs> and too many different strokes. Too many laps. Um, yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, for the girls that I competed against, like Alice Mills and Jodie Henry, like yeah. I always felt like there was this competitiveness. Like you just, right. you're constantly competing for spots on the team or for medals. And so you couldn't feel like you could connect with them as friends. Yeah. And then at like as genuinely at a genuine, yeah. you know, connected. You have level. to be very open and authentic and vulnerable to yeah. be able to have those conversations. Totally. And then it's only just now that I'm connecting with yourself and, you know, all sorts of Alice and Jody and all of these amazing women who I just idolize and respect because of what you've done and achieved. But then you're you're actually just better people as well. Yeah. Outside of the pool as well. And I also think nowadays, you know, like platforms like your podcast and stuff, people that are going through it have ways to tap in mm. and learn, even if they don't know you personally. Mm. Um, and I'm sure like I'm sure there'd be like people we swam against in like France or Great Britain that all go through the same stuff. Yes. And if there's channels like with what you're talking about and the people you'll talk to like help those people, I'm sure you will never know mm. like how, how wide the help is, but thank I think you for legitimizing my podcast. Oh my God, you're so welcome. <laughs> I really appreciate that. It's good for my ego. <laughs> uh, everybody needs an ego boost. Yeah, totally. Thank you so much for your time, Steph. It's just been absolutely awesome. And I, I know that I can't wait to see what you do because I know that you have the abilities you have the tenacity and the the just the attitude and that perspective and you'll you'll go far oh that means a lot thank you it's been so nice to reconnect I love it so much thank you Thank you so much for listening to today's conversation with Steph. If you want any more information about her, you can check out her Instagram at it's Steph Rice. Uh, she's got loads of information on there about ebooks and swimming programs. All of that information is in our show notes. And if you have any ideas about retired athletes that you'd like to hear from, just DM us 